Appreciate your presence this evening, and I hope and pray that you have had a, a wonderful day. Uh, we have been truly blessed. Um, this morning had a wonderful session of singing instruction, and uh, Timothy wrapped up his work uh, this week and did a great job working with all of us and helping us improve that we might give our master the best of our service. And uh, this afternoon we got to see our young people uh, present material that they had studied this week from the Word of God. And it wasn't too many years ago I was in their shoes, and I understand the anxiety and the stress of that. And I want to tell you it's encouraging and inspiring to see so many young people willing to put time and effort into studying God's Word so they could present it but they're leaving here with that knowledge that can't be taken away from them. And I appreciate this congregation, their effort, and all of those that have been involved in planning this work and this meeting, and hope and pray that our study and our time together will be beneficial to you in your walk and your relationship with God and your Creator. The psalmist writes in Psalm 51, beginning of verse 1, David, a, a psalm after his conviction upon his sin with Bathsheba because of the, the prophet Nathan, he writes, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me known to me, to known wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. David gives us a wonderful example of how we ought to respond to the brokenness that we experience in this life. He gives us an example of the only place for us to turn to find a solution for the brokenness that we suffer because of our sins. And tonight we're going to talk about our brokenness and how that brokenness comes about because sometimes it is because of our sin. I'll tell you, sometimes we're broken simply because of circumstances of life. And I want to tell you, all of us have that in common. And all of us suffer the things in this life. And I want to encourage all of us to understand there's one place to go to find the answers to that brokenness that we can be healed, we can be mended, and we can be made whole, and we can find the forgiveness of God, and that's through our Savior, Jesus Christ. This evening, I want to tell you, God is faithful. God keeps His word. He keeps His promises. And when He says He will have mercy upon those who come to Him crying out for mercy and forgiveness, He's faithful to deliver that. And every covenant and every promise that God has made, He has stayed true to His word and He has delivered upon that promise, which is why David was crying out to God. You know, David wasn't crying out to the wise men of Israel. He wasn't calling out or crying out to the religious of Israel. He wasn't crying out to the prophet Nathan, asking Nathan to forgive him. He was broken and contrite and crying out to God because he knew God was faithful to bring healing and bring a solution for the problem of his brokenness due to his sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, God is faithful. 
by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. When we think about God, we have to start with the fundamental principle that God is going to do exactly what God says He's going to do. And He's going to do that every single time. And if we can have confidence in understanding the faithfulness of God, we ought to have a response of a faithfulness to Him. That we understand that this salvation, this offering of Jesus Christ, and our acceptance of that is conditional upon us fulfilling what it is His Word directs us and guides us to do. But that doesn't take away from the faithfulness that God has demonstrated to all of His creation. In Numbers 23 and verse 19, is recorded, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? You see, God is faithful not just because he demonstrates faithfulness or performs faithful acts of keeping his word. He's faithful by his very nature. And, and sometimes we forget that God is by his nature the manifestation of all good things. Think about the scriptures that talk about that God is love. Now, does God demonstrate his love? He demonstrated love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But why did he demonstrate that love? He demonstrated it because he is love. God is wholly self-sufficient, in need of nothing. He's eternal. He's full of grace and he's patient. He's wisdom. He's truth. He's righteous. He's omniscient. <laughs> he's omnipotent. He is holy and totally set apart from all things that are not God. And when we think about faithfulness, man's faithfulness is limited. And I want to tell you, we make agreements with people and sometimes we don't hold up our end of the bargain. And guess what? We're unfaithful in those relationships. We don't always behave the way that we should. But the greatest thing that we do wrong is we demonstrate a lack of faithfulness to God. God, who is faithful, has allowed us through His Son, Jesus Christ, into a wonderful fellowship with Him. And then, because of that fellowship with Him, He has given us a lateral fellowship with every Christian that's on this earth. And when we violate the will of God, what we do is we violate that faithfulness that we need to be demonstrating to Him. But tonight, I want you to understand, no matter what you have done... No matter how broken your sin may be causing you to feel, that God is faithful to offer forgiveness through your brokenness. And time and time again, God has been faithful not only to work through our brokenness, but actually to use the brokenness of lives to bring about glory to His name. And tonight I want you to examine your life and where you stand with God. It's very easy for us to become arrogant in our mind and to forget the sin of our past. When the Apostle Paul talks about that in Philippians chapter 4, when he talks about forgetting those things which are behind, that doesn't mean Paul never thought about his sin. What it meant was he understood and embraced the new identity that Christ was giving to him and that his sin no longer was the thing that identified him with God. And all of us who have named the name of Christ, who have confessed our faith in Jesus Christ, who have been buried with Him in baptism, we have confidence that we have a relationship with God and Christ is preparing us for eternity. But even in that life, we can still experience brokenness. And even in that life, we can struggle. Even in that life we can suffer.
I want you to be reminded tonight of who God can use. Abraham was an old man. Did God use him? Joseph was prideful. Moses was a murderer. Gideon was afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. The Samaritan woman had been divorced. Jeremiah was very young when he was called by God. Jacob was a deceiver and a cheater. David was an adulterous murderer. Jonah was a rebellious man against God. Peter was a denier, swearing that he didn't know Jesus Christ. The disciples were weak in their faith. And Paul was a persecutor of God's people. And every one of these people that we think of, when we think of them, the sin or or their brokenness or what God did to deliver them from that, that's not what we think of, is it? We think of the wonderful things that they accomplished for God. But too often when we examine our life or we look at one another, all we see is brokenness. And I want you to change your perspective tonight. I want you to understand that God can use anyone in His kingdom. And it doesn't matter how ugly your sin is. It doesn't matter how dark your heart might be tonight. If Christ can come into your heart and you will allow Him into your heart through His Word and you'll be obedient to His will, that light will shine forth and He will change you and transform you and make you into something new that He then can use to fulfill His will. He's done it for generations. And His faithfulness endures to us even today. The psalmist also writes in Psalm 34 and verse 18 that the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. I want you to think about that word contrite. Now, we may have experienced a broken heart, but as the psalmist talks here of a contrite heart, I want you to understand the gravity of that word contrite. That word contrite means ground to a fine powder where there is nothing left that resembles a heart. But it's ground to that fine powder and and that psalmist himself is unable to do anything with that. But he says he brings that before God. And what is God able to do with that type of heart? He says he's near to them with that type of heart. We had a group of young people that talked about being poor in spirit, not thinking too highly of ourselves. And who is it that God draws close to? He draws close to those of a broken heart. And I don't know where your heart is tonight, and you may be suffering and struggling with some inward turmoil. You may have sin that's causing you turmoil. You may have relationships that are broken or strained. You may have lost someone dear to you. You may be having financial difficulty. You may be struggling with any manner of any of these things that come to us in life. Understand, God is willing to be close to you in that brokenness. And he's not casting you off, but he's pleading and begging with you to come to him. Psalm 147 and 3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning of verse 6, he says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. The creator of all things, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, all the time, everywhere, And you know what he wants from you? He wants your heart. He wants you to understand that he is the only one that can heal your brokenness and make something positive out of negative situations and emotions. And I would plead with you tonight to bring Christ your brokenness. Don't deny it. 
Don't internalize it. Don't swallow it and just keep it inside, but openly bring that to Christ. And we can cast all our cares upon him, for he cares for you. I want to tell you, I care about my wife. You say, well, that's a good thing. She's your wife. You're supposed to care about her. I, don't, I would argue that there's anybody in this world that cares about my wife more than I do. And I know who her dad is. I care about her. But you know what I realize and what I know? She has a God in heaven that cares about her even more than I do. As much as I love my children, I want to give them everything I can give them on this earth. They have a heavenly Father who is dear to them. And He says they are dear to Him. And He wants them to belong to Him for the rest of their lives. So as parents, it's our job to teach them and train them. Not so they can be a good representative of the Palmer home and the Palmer family and wear the name Palmer, but that they might glorify God and wear the name of Christ. And if we care about one another, that's what we're going to do for each other within His church and His kingdom. We're going to be motivated to have the relationships that cause us to care for someone that's broken, not to be judgmental, not to push them away, but to embrace them and welcome them. Because that's who Christ came for. You know, there are some phrases that are very popular in the world of religion today considering this idea of brokenness and as much as we want to be open and honest with our brokenness, there's a danger in that, and I want to share with you what that is. Statements like, we're broken people. Jesus redeems us in our brokenness. God loves us in our brokenness. We must acknowledge our brokenness. Okay, all these things are true. <laughs> Every one of them. But when you come to Christ Jesus... No matter what you feel about yourself, when you're obedient to His gospel, you're buried with Him in baptism, you arise to walk in newness of life. Brethren, you're not broken anymore. You're new. You're healed. Your life is put back together in Jesus Christ. Now, we may not feel that initially, but that's where we have to rely upon the knowledge of what God's faithfulness has promised to us. I want to tell you, if we wear our brokenness as a badge of honor, we're discouraging the name of Christ. Because when people came to Christ broken, they left healed. I think it's important for us to understand that. We need to acknowledge the brokenness, but once we know Christ, we may stumble, <laughs> we may be bruised, we may be knocked down, but brethren, we're not broken. Because Christ came to heal and to save and to rescue and he does that for those who acknowledge their brokenness in his presence. I want you to think about John chapter 8. And this example of Christ and his mercy and his compassion upon this woman that was brought before him in, after she had been caught in the very act of committing adultery. I'll tell you, I've worked with a lot of people in sinful situations. I've never had someone brought to me that was drugged there by other people saying, we found them committing adultery and we're bringing them in front of you to make a decision of what you're going to do with them. <laughs> That's what they did with Jesus here. Now, they had a very evil motive in doing this. They, weren't, they didn't care about this woman. 
All they cared about was their righteousness. And all they cared about was testing Jesus to see how Jesus would respond to this situation because they wanted to get Jesus caught in a situation where he would violate the law and they could place charges against him. But I want you to notice what Jesus did. This woman that's caught in adultery brought before him. What did he say to those men, those Pharisees? The first thing he said was nothing. He just wrote on the ground. And the Bible says they continued to question Jesus. What do we do with this woman? Moses, the law says we stone her. What do we do? And he continued in silence, writing on the ground. And then he finally gives an answer. And he says, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. Now, you may think Jesus was saying that to just show that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus' accusation there about their sin was very specific because they had violated the very law that they were seeking to condemn her under. Because the law said if they were caught in adultery, both were to be stoned. Where was the man? If she was committing adultery, there had to be someone else she was participating in that sin with, and he wasn't there. They had taken this woman in that vulnerable position and brought her before Jesus, looking for Jesus to condemn her. And Jesus said, if you don't have sin, then you can cast a stone. What happened to all those men? The Bible says by one by one, what did they do? They walked away. And then we see this woman broken because of sin, broken because what she had been exposed as, as an adulterer, brought before Jesus, and she's down there on the ground, and Jesus is there. And what does Jesus say to her? Does he condemn her? Does he judge her? Does he speak to her harshly? Does she command, he command her right then and there to repent and change her life? Notice what Jesus says. It says, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those thine accusers? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What was Jesus offering her? He was offering her what? Forgiveness. He was extending to her mercy. Now, was he saying the sin was okay? No, but he wasn't just concerned about the sin. He was concerned about the heart that was broken in front of him. And he knew what that heart needed. At that moment, that heart had, was in need of what? Compassion and mercy. And Jesus said, there's no one here that brought you before me any longer. I don't condemn you. Guess what? Get up and go live and sin no more. Certainly, repentance was required. Certainly, a change in lifestyle was required. Certainly, she had to reflect upon her sin and realize, Jesus just gave me a second chance. I want to tell you, our Savior is tender-hearted to those who are broken before Him. And I think we ought to take that to heart, and we ought to be tender-hearted toward those who are broken even because of their sin. So that they might see the mercies of God and the forgiveness that Christ can offer. Isaiah 42 and verse 3 says, a bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. You see, that bruised reed in many people's minds would have been worthless. 
That smoking flax would not be good to accomplish anything, yet God says, I'm not going to give up on those. You know why He doesn't give up on the bruised reed? Because He can heal it and fix it. You know why He doesn't put out the, the smoking flax and just put it out of its misery and end its existence? Because He knows His power and what He can do through that brokenness and through that emptiness, and He can renew and restore and fill it with hope again. All of us are a bruised reed. All of us are smoking flax. And praise God that He doesn't give up on us. Now I want to tell you something. When I was in kindergarten, really every year that I was in school, in elementary and primary school, going and buying school supplies was one of my favorite days of the year. You know why? Because every year I got a brand new box of Crayola crayons. And is there anything like the smell of a brand new box of Crayola crayons? There's nothing like it. I feel like I'm back from five years old right now in Miss Gilliland's kindergarten classroom. Just from smelling these crayons. I loved it. And every year I'd go to school with a brand new box of crayons. And as a kindergarten student, I went to school and I had my backpack. I had all of my school supplies. And we got there and we unloaded everything. And Miss Gilliland said, hey, here's some coloring pages to get you started. Get out your crayons. I got my box of crayons out. I went and I picked out my favorite color, blue-green. And guess what I did? I went to town. I was coloring I had a problem, though. I colored a little too hard. And I would bear down so hard that guess what would happen to that crayon? It'd break. So you know what I'd do? I'd lay it aside. I'd grab another one. I'd grab red-orange. Guess what I'd do? I'd go to coloring. I'd color too hard. Guess what would happen? That crayon would break. That first day, I broke every crayon in my box. I went home to my mom and dad and said, hey, mom and dad, uh, I need a new box of crayons. I said, the first day? I said, I broke all of them. So guess what they did? They gave me another box of crayons. I went back to school the second day with a brand new box of crayons. Miss Gilliland came by my desk, and she noticed I kept continuously breaking crayons, and she gathered up all those remnants of those broken crayons, and she put them in a baggie. And after about five boxes of crayons, <laughs> after one week of school in kindergarten, my parents said, I'm not, we're not buying you any more crayons. So then every time I would break my crayons, guess what Miss Gilliland would do? She would bring me the baggie of misfit broken crayons. And these were my crayons for the rest of the year. You know what she told me? She said, hey, they're broken, but they still work. And they were so small that no matter how hard I colored, guess what? They wouldn't break. So it all worked out for me. See, though we're broken by life, God sees that brokenness, but He still sees something that's useful for Him. Where we see something that we would just toss out and throw away, Miss Gilliland, because she was a kindergarten teacher, and kindergarten teachers are some of the wisest people on the face of this earth, she kept those broken pieces and understood they could be utilized again. You know, there's an example in the Scriptures of somebody I believe was broken, 
not due to anything that they did, not due to sinful choices or decisions, not due to bad examples, but I think they were broken by life simply because of circumstances that they suffered in. And you probably know who I'm talking about, right? You're thinking Job, right? I see some heads nodding. We're going to talk about a woman tonight. Her name was Naomi. What do you know about Naomi? You know, for years as I study the scriptures, I think of Naomi and I say, well, she's talked about in the story of Ruth. That's Ruth's story. And it's a beautiful picture of Ruth and Boaz and this dedication and, and that example of love. And Naomi, well, she was a good mother-in-law. I'll tell you, Naomi was much more than just a mother-in-law. She was a woman who serves as a wonderful example of how to deal with adversity, how to deal with brokenness, even when the brokenness is nothing that you've caused in your own life. So I want to look at Naomi tonight. Naomi's background in Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 through 5, we see that she is married to a man named Elimelech. And they were from Bethlehem, Judah. But there was a famine in that land. And they decided to move from that land into the land of Moab. And Moab was run by pagans and out, people that were outside of, of God's holy nation. They had two sons, Malan and Kilian. After they moved to Moab due to famine in Judah, um, they lived there for many years, established a life. Now, I want you to know what the name Naomi means. It means pleasant one, beauty, or above all. That's who she was. But Naomi suffered. And very early in this story of the book of Ruth, we, we see Naomi's life begin to fall apart. Verse 3 of Ruth 1 says, Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then Malan and Kilian also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Understand what Naomi's been through. <laughs> In just three verses, her husband has died. She's a widow. Her sons have married Moabite women. Now both of her sons have died. You ever felt like that, that Murphy's Law, whatever could go wrong, is going wrong in your life? We say when it rains, it pours. And sometimes you feel like that pain and suffering is unrelenting. I imagine that's how Naomi felt. Can you relate to that? Notice who Naomi was in this deep despair. She was a foreigner. She was taken from her homeland of being with God's people, and she was living in a foreign country. She was now a widow without a husband to provide and care for her. And understand, in a foreign country, do you think the Moabites had provisions in their laws of that they would take care of widows? They probably had no laws or statutes pertaining to that. They weren't concerned about mercy and compassion. Both of her sons marry Moabite women. You say, well, what's the big deal with that? What's Deuteronomy 7 and verse 1 instruct God's people? 
concerning their relationships with foreign nations and countries as they were a holy nation set apart by God. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 1, it says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Gergesites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. What was the instruction? Verse 3 says, Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take their daughters for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. So not only is Naomi a foreigner away from her homeland, she's widowed, but her sons have married two heathen women. And here sits Naomi in this circumstance, in this situation, and then both of those sons die. So now who's with Naomi? Orpah and Ruth. All three widowed. Orpah and Ruth not having a background of knowing God. And Naomi, one who remembers God and apparently was a great example to those daughter-in-laws and teaching them about her God and her people. And faced with all this tragedy... And all this suffering and all these circumstances of life that she didn't bring on and she had no way of making those decisions, she's probably asking, what do I do now? Have you ever been there? Have you ever suffered and even questioned? <laughs> I don't even know what to do. I don't even know where to go. I don't have answers for this. You think Naomi felt that? See, the thing about Naomi is she did have answers. You know what she told her daughter-in-laws? She said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Naomi says, I'm going home. And then I'm going to go home. You need to go back to your, your parents' homes and, and you need to go back with your people. But I'm going home to my people. You ever wonder why Naomi made that decision? What caused her to think, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem, Judah. Without my husband, without my daughter and daughters-in-law, I'm going all by myself back to God's people. What did those daughters-in-law say? No, Naomi, we're going with you. And they get ready to go on that journey. And then again, Naomi pleads with them and says, Listen, <laughs> turn back, my daughters. Go, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should say I have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Notice what Naomi's saying. She's saying there's provision in God's way and his method and his law to provide for you even, but you don't have time to wait for that. Because I have to go back and if there's someone I could marry and I could conceive, then you have to wait for those boys to grow up for you to marry them. And that's not realistic. Just go home and leave me alone. I'll go by myself. Well, guess what? One of them does what? Turns around and goes back home. Orpah, doesn't she? Notice what Naomi said in verse 13. Would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? 
She was at such a point in her life that she says, the hand of God is against me. She can't explain why. She, she, she understands it's not her fault, but she's saying something about God is against me right now. And you don't need to suffer anymore. You need to just go home. But then we get to that faithful daughter-in-law, Ruth. And Naomi says to Ruth, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, speaking of Orpah and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And the most profound statement that Ruth makes, and your God will be my God. You know, that tells us a lot about Naomi, doesn't it? She had taught those women about her God and his faithfulness. And Ruth is ready to go and serve that God because of that example. She says, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you from me. Naomi, I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. We've been through life together. We've suffered together. We've seen good times. We've seen bad, and nothing's going to separate me from you. So these two, one a pagan... One, an Israelite, start making their way back to God's people. Very broken, devastated by life and circumstances that they had suffered. Verse 19 of Ruth 1 says, Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mata, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? I want you to understand about her cries and her lamentations here. She's not laying undue accusations against God. She's simply acknowledging the reality of her existence at this moment. And there's power in these lamentations. Because guess who she is acknowledging? She's not saying God doesn't exist. She's saying He's there and His hand is against me because of these things that I've suffered. And her lamenting is crying out to Him because she's broken. And she understands that brokenness all too well. And she's come home and all these people are celebrating her arrival. And she says, I don't, don't celebrate me. Don't call me the beautiful one anymore. Don't call me above all. Don't call me Naomi Call me Mara. Notice what she had done. She had changed her entire identity because of her suffering. Do we ever see that today? Tragedy strikes. How easy is it for us to lose focus? How easy is it for us to get so caught up in that depression and that grief and that sorrow that we become a different person? 
she had even gotten to the point where she said, don't even call me by my name. Call me something completely different because I don't identify as Naomi any longer. Was she broken? But you know what she knew? She knew God was faithful. Just as David knew he could cry out in his sin before God and plead with God to create in him a new heart and a clean heart, this woman knew if I get back to God's people, there's provisions for me because God's law is true and his word is faithful. You know what she knew? She knew there may be a kinsman redeemer that could take her and take care of her. There was a kinsman to her husband that had died. She also knew that the poor and the foreigner could glean from the harvest of the crops in Judah. Where in Moab, she would have been destitute and begging. But what did she know? She knew what the law of God said in Leviticus 19 and verse 9. That commandment to those who were, what? Farming and had crops. The instruction to provide for those who were poor. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Naomi knew that if she got back to her homeland, God would be providing for her. Even as a destitute, poor widow, she could find provision to live again. She just needed to get home to God's people. You know, she also provided instruction to Ruth, didn't she? Once Ruth goes out and gathers and she realizes, hey, there's this man Boaz. And they realize, hey, Boaz could be the redeemer. He could be the one that could purchase Ruth. And by purchasing Ruth, then Naomi would also have provision and someone to care for her. And Naomi instructs Ruth on what to do. Verse 3 says, Therefore wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment. Go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down, you shall notice the place where he lies. You shall go in, uncover his feet, lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. How did Ruth know to do that? Because Naomi gave her the instruction. Why is Naomi, this woman who is broken, this widow who's destitute, giving instruction in Naomi because she has faith in God. <laughs> and that faith and trust in God is beginning to change her mindset as she gives this instruction because she sees hope for something better. You know, sometimes when we're in the middle of our brokenness, all we need to see is a little glimmer of hope. <laughs> and if we can just see a little hope, that can change our perspective, can it? And that change in perspective shifts our focus away from our suffering and ourself and shifts it back to God where it belonged all the time. I want you to notice something about Naomi's despair. A foreigner away from God and his people, a widow, her sons both marry Moabite women. Both those sons die with no male heir. And Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth were all widows. You know, to be a foreigner, that was a decision of her husband. Yes, there was famine in the land, but not everyone left Judah. But Elimelech decided to take his family away from God's people into Moab. 
And she submitted to that decision. Her becoming a widow, guess what that was? That was circumstances of life. Both of her sons marrying Moabite women, that was the sins of her sons. Both of her sons dying and not having a male heir, that's unforeseen tragedy. And now that Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth are all widows, they're destitute and alone. And I put that up there in that way for you to understand. Life's hard. Life is full of struggle. This life is difficult. Which is why God asked us to shift our focus away from this life and into eternity with Him. Because no matter all these things that she suffered in her brokenness, God all along had hope that He was going to provide for her. Romans 8 and verse 28 gives us that instruction today that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. And when you're in the middle of tragedy, you don't see good. You don't see hope. All you see is destitution and pain and suffering. And I want us to shift our eyes and see hope and see good. And trust in the faithfulness of God. Because what ultimately happened was Ruth's lamentations were heard by God. And I love this quote as we consider her lamentations as she talked about not calling her Naomi anymore because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And, and we can become critical of Naomi for uttering such a thing, but that very statement she makes is evidence of her faith in God. Because you know who doesn't make statements like that? An atheist. An atheist doesn't talk about the almighty hand of God being against them because they don't acknowledge the almighty God. And in this tragic circumstance, she felt that pain and that pressure and that brokenness. James chapter 4 and verse 13 instructs us, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. And I know it's cliche to say that we live one day at a time, but brethren, we're not promised tomorrow. And I want to tell you, I have great plans Sunday evening, actually Monday morning. We decided we're not leaving Sunday night, we're leaving Monday morning. We have great plans of making a very, very short drive to Harlingen, Texas to go home. Ten hours in a car, that's not very far. But we have great plans of doing that, and guess what? I've got plans Monday evening of things I need to get to work doing. And then we have plans the next weekend to leave and go to Denton, Texas for another meeting. We have plans after that to enjoy some time with some of our family and enjoy some time with the rest of our family. <laughs> We're all going to be together. But guess what? Something could happen tomorrow that would change all of those plans. And if that happens, guess what we still have to do? We still praise God. And we live our life in such a way that we say, if it's the Lord's will, this is what we're going to do. And if it's not, we're happy to submit to whatever His will is and find joy and find peace and find comfort, find hope and find encouragement. Even in tragedy. And we can learn that from this example of Naomi. 
Naomi lamented of her despair. She was instructing uh, Ruth on how to approach Boaz appropriately. She knew that the poor and foreigner could glean from the harvest of God's people. And ultimately, they found a kinsman redeemer. As I study this story, I see us. And tonight, I want you to understand, if you're outside of the body of Christ, you need to lament of your life without God. You need to be broken because of your sin and that acknowledgement. You need to hear the instruction of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to understand you have a Father in heaven who sent His only begotten Son to live a perfect life and then offer a sacrifice that you might be redeemed. You need to understand and realize the goodness of God that's available to you and that Jesus is the ultimate Redeemer. No matter what your brokenness has been caused by, whether it's your sin or the circumstances of this life. You know what ultimately happened to Naomi? Ruth and Boaz marry. What happens with Ruth? She has a child. Notice in chapter 4 here in verse 14, the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel, and may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. You talk about the faithfulness of God. You talk about God changing the circumstances of this woman's life to where she goes from tears to joy. From pain to healing to being brought very low to being highly exalted. And those women cried out, Blessed be the Lord. Who was that boy named Obed? Matthew 1 and verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, verses 5 and 6, talks about that genealogy. And guess who's mentioned there? This child. Salmon begat Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begat Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. This woman, broken by all these circumstances, not only enjoyed having that grandson, Obed, but then that grandson and that pagan Moabite woman are mentioned in the genealogy of the Savior. Isn't it amazing what God can do through tragedy when we turn back to Him? Isaiah 43 and verse 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. I'm the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Saba, in your place. 
Sometimes we pass through the water. Sometimes we're in the river. Sometimes the floods are rising. Sometimes the fire is there. But if we walk through that, we have a Lord and Savior who's walking with us who will deliver us. And in Christ, all things can be made new. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now I'll talk to you about all those broken crayons that my kindergarten teacher would put aside for me to utilize. You know, my wife's a kindergarten teacher as well. She taught about 10 years in the public school system. You know what her kindergartners would do? They'd break crayons. But you know what she did? Instead of just taking all those broken pieces and putting them in a baggie and then handing them out, she brought all those broken pieces home. And she found a mold that she could put all those broken pieces of crayon in and she would make little stars and different shapes. Out of the same broken crayons, they would sit there and make something brand new. And you know when the kids got ready to color... You know, they didn't want the brand new box of crayons. You know what they wanted? They wanted the ones that Miss Palmer had taken broken pieces from and created something brand new. And all of a sudden, what at one time seemed useless, what at one time seemed insignificant, what at one time seemed worthless, God turned into something wonderful and marvelous that could be used for His glory. I want to tell you, I've been broken. And I wish I could say I've only been broken once in my life and Then I was baptized into Christ and I've never been broken again. I can't stand up here and tell you that. But I will tell you this. I never realized how broken I was until I fully acknowledged the goodness of God. What I mean by that is this. When I was 15 years old, my mom died. She had been sick for a lot of years. And I had seen her body decay and just wither away to nothing. And as a 15-year-old young man, she passes away and I'm left with a sister that's two and a dad that I couldn't communicate with. I didn't realize I was broken. I didn't acknowledge God. And in my heart was a lot of bitterness and anger. And that began to manifest itself in very sinful behaviors. But you know what my dad did? My dad repented and went back to the Lord. And he was faithful. And at 15 years old, I began to see an example of faithfulness in tragedy. I didn't understand it. I didn't want to participate in it. But then I met people who were Christians. 
You know what I thought? I can never be them. They're good people. They love God. They worship God. They, they praise his name. I can't do that. But as I began to study the word of God with faithful brethren such as you, who saw me in my brokenness and cared about me, my eyes began to open. And as my eyes opened, I began to see truth. And as I began to see truth, I realized just how broken I was. And it wasn't brokenness because I lost my mom and it was tragic circumstances. I was broken because I was a sinful young man. And I was separated from God. But through the power of the Word of God, I met Jesus Christ. And what I learned is the church isn't full of perfect people. The church is the place where all the broken people come to be healed. And tonight, you may be broken. I want to tell you, God can change that right now. And it doesn't matter if your brokenness is because of tragedy and circumstances or it's because of your sin. He stands ready and able to forgive and to restore and create something brand new. And you then can help someone else who's experiencing the same thing that you're going through right now. Galatians 3 and 26 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And I'm thankful that the tragedy of my life isn't what defines me. I don't walk around wearing that as a badge of honor. I wear the name of Christ because he's powerful enough to restore and guess what? Heal and to make whole. We're going to stand in just a moment as you get your songbooks out. We're going to sing the song called Just As I Am. That's probably my favorite invitation song, but here recently I've been introduced to another version of that song. That there's a little addition to it. And the words of that addition are this, I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned. And we can say without a doubt, we trust the faithfulness of God that if you're broken, you're hurting, you're empty, you're desperate, all you got to do is come to Christ. And He'll fix it. And not only will He fix it, He'll give you something even better than you could even imagine. And whatever pain you're dealing with right now, it won't go away overnight, but God's faithfulness will walk with you through that pain and deliver you into an eternity with Him. And we're going to walk with you through it as well. If you need to be healed tonight of your brokenness and whatever you're dealing with, this invitation is for you. To come have a seat on the front, let us assist you, and let us bring you before our Father in heaven as together we stand and sing.